I want answers. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you may have uh, remember those words, possibly. Iconic words that were uttered by uh, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson in a movie, A Few Good Men. I feel like I'm almost dating myself by that reference. Like I am no longer young, I am old. That didn't go over well in this crowd, I'm sorry. Anyways, so, just kidding. So this movie, if you haven't seen it, focuses on um, the actions of two Marines upon another. Private William Santiago is murdered, supposedly, at the hands of Private Downey and Private Dawson. And a collection of military uh, you know, uh, lawyers is assembled to figure out what has happened here on this military base in Cuba. And as the trial continues and they find out that there is kind of a mastermind behind a culture that exists um, at Guantanamo Bay, played uh, out by this colonel, Colonel Jessup, who Jack Nicholson plays wonderfully in the movie. And uh, while he's being questioned on the stand, he declares that he gave a code red, which means that he's the one who gave the order for these two Marines to go in and cause um, inadvertently the death of their friend. And so the uh, jury gets together and they decide what will be the fate of Dawson and Downey. And they come back that they have been exonerated on all charges except one. And that is conduct unbecoming of a Marine. And the sentencing is to time served and dishonorable discharge from the United States Marine Corps. Now these two young men are crushed. These two young men are crushed because all they've known is this way of life. All they've wanted is this way of life. And uh, these two friends look to one another kind of in bewilderment and, and, and Private uh, Downey says to his friend Hal Dawson, he says, Hal, I don't understand. They said that Colonel Jessup, he admitted to giving the code red. We didn't do anything wrong, Hal. What did we do wrong? Hal turns to his friend, no, we did something wrong. We were supposed to fight for people who couldn't defend themselves. We were supposed to fight for people like Willie. What does it mean to be right? What is right? What is wrong? What does it mean to do the right thing, to live in a way that's righteous, that's right? I think all of us would probably agree we want to do that, don't we? We want to live right. We want to do the right thing. We continue in a series today that we're calling Life Interrupted. See, Jesus at Christmas interrupted the world. Jesus at Christmas came down and said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
There's a different way. And so we've been looking at scriptures, and we're going to continue to do that, that emphasize how Jesus interrupted things at his birth, and how Jesus interrupted things in his ministry, and also how Jesus interrupts things for us today. And so the title of this message this morning is More Right Than Right. Because perhaps Jesus has also interrupted, or some may say disrupted, our idea of what it means to be right. How does Jesus' interruption as a baby and in ministry and in our lives change what we understand about right and wrong? We heard uh, two fairly famous stories this morning about some dilemmas, some people who wanted to do what was right. You see, the first century had some pretty clear understandings about how to live the right way, how to act the right way, how to think the right way, how to do the right thing. And so we meet this young carpenter named Joseph, and he is faced with a dilemma. Because something has happened to his fiance. And it wasn't him. And that's just not right. In the first century, this wasn't just, you know, get down on one knee and will you marry me? And yes, I do. And oh, isn't that cute? This was a serious thing. Betrothal in the first century had legal and moral and family obligations. This was, a, this was a unification of these two people as one. And Mary had been away visiting her cousin Elizabeth, who was also part of the Christmas story. And she comes back and Joseph says, that's not the way I left you. And Joe wants to do the right thing. Joe's a good guy. Joe this isn't right, what has happened. But I I don't want you to be shamed, Mary. I I don't want people to um, look at you a different way. So I'm just going to divorce you quietly, which the law did allow. But God stepped in. God stepped in to show Joseph that maybe there was a better right. So the angel said, don't worry. Don't worry, Joseph. Take take Mary as as your wife. God's, God's got a right plan going on here. 30 years forward, 30 years forward about Jesus is now grown and he is ministering to people and the religious authorities of the time in ancient Palestine wanted nothing to do with him. They wanted Jesus gone as soon as possible. They either wanted him to get him in trouble with the people or they wanted to get him in trouble with Rome. It didn't matter which, Jesus had to go. And so they devise a plan. And they catch a woman in the act of adultery. And we all know that's not a one-person sport. But the man is not mentioned in the account. But we aren't given any indication that this actually wasn't happening. And yet there is something more going on than two lovers in romance. And so these religious leaders cast down this woman in front of Jesus in the midst of the crowd. And they say, okay, come on. Jesus, do the right thing. 
Moses says that we should stone her right now. What do you say? And like his father, his earthly father, Joseph, so many years before, Jesus was in a dilemma. But of course, Jesus answered perfectly because he's God and, you know, he's got that advantage. He says, you know what? I'm just going to take a moment. He did something in the sand. We're not sure exactly what that was. And he says, you know what? All right. The one who's sinless, go ahead. Throw the first stone. He doesn't even answer the question. He doesn't even answer the question. He turns it on them and they all walk away knowing that none of them is sinless. And so he's with the woman alone and looks down and says, where are all your accusers? And as we heard scripture say, the woman said, they've all gone. And he says something very profound. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Or other translations say, go and leave your life of sin. You know what's really interesting about what Jesus said to this woman? He said, and I'm not going to pronounce a sentence on you today. But I am also not going to proclaim your innocence today. But instead he offers mercy. Instead he offers a life interrupted. He offers grace. This is what Jesus does. Jesus has this uncanny ability to disrupt the system. Not only to interrupt the system or interrupt our way of life, he has an uncanny ability to disrupt the system. And just like in the first century, who had ideas of right and wrong, and what's appropriate and what's not and what we should do and what we should not do. Today's culture does as well, doesn't it? Whether it's explicitly said or it's just implied, there's a way that seems right to our culture. So if we just take a moment just to think about this question, what are our cultures, our culture's ideas of right and wrong? What does it mean to be right today, to do right today, to be righteous today? And what I propose this morning is that just like in the first century, Jesus has some ways that he will disrupt and interrupt our culture as well. That Jesus didn't just have something to say about what was right in the first century. Jesus has something to say about what, was, what is right today. There's a passage that I think will be really helpful in understanding what this means. And Paul was writing a letter to the church in Rome. And he said these words. Paul wrote, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable 
and perfect. Why don't we all read that together? It's on the screen behind me, right? Let's all read that together once more to hear this again for us. Here we go. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Thereby discern what will God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Anyone want to know the will of God here today? I mean, that's why we've gathered, right? Is to know what God's will is. To follow God. To say, God, show me the way. Show me what's right. And so Paul starts by saying, hey, listen, there's a world that we all live in. There's an age that we all live in. Don't conform to it without thinking. But here's the trouble with culture. And culture is just a set of beliefs, a set of behaviors, a set of rights and wrongs that a group of people live by. Here's what's troubling with culture is that you really don't know when you're in it. It's like you're in the ocean, but you don't know you're wet. It's all around you. And you take so many things for granted. And, and Paul's saying, just wake up. Wake up to the culture that is around you, to the behaviors and the thoughts and the patterns of living that are around you, and think. Don't just go through life without thinking. So how do we do that? How do we do that in a world that seems to be increasingly not having the mind of Christ? It says we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to allow Jesus to change the way we think. We need to invite Jesus into the practices that we just don't even think about, but maybe he has something to say about. We have to invite Jesus in. Do, you, do we fit into our culture without even thinking? Is that possible this morning? Is that true for some of us here today? That we just fit into it? We don't really think about it. We just go with the flow. I mean, if it's on Facebook, it has to be good, right? It got lots of thumbs up. I mean, if a teacher told you that was bad, maybe it's bad, you know? So a couple illustrations that might kind of drive this point home. But before I get to that, Paul is encouraging not to put, not to use Jesus as an additive to our lives. You know, like a spice on the shelf that you take down when you kind of just need a little better and then put it back. That, that's, that's not who Jesus is. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul uses a Greek word here, uh, dokamazo. There's actually four English words. Uh, that by testing means dokamazo. Dokamazo means it's, it's true, it's real because you've tried it out. Okay? You know it's worth because you've used it. Jesus wants to be more than just an additive for a better life. Jesus wants to be so much more for us. So here are, here are three illustrations that hopefully you connect with. I'm sure there could be a lot more and I could talk a lot longer, but we're just going to hopefully unpack three ways that maybe Jesus has another way for us to see right 
in our culture. Okay, that's what we're talking about again today. We're talking about the way that Jesus interrupts or disrupts the world around us, even possibly ourselves, to redefine what it means to be right. All right, you with me here today? Good. Illustration number one. Silence the idiots. Now, I have to tell you, I thought about not writing that on the screen. I did. I thought it might be offensive for more than one reason. But you know what? It is offensive. Because our culture is currently at a time like never before when we just want to silence the idiots. Now, I don't know who those are, but they got to be quiet. Because they're crazy. Don't be crazy like them. I mean, this is what we hear, right? As long as the weird people stop talking, we'll be fine. But you know what we're doing there, don't you? We're not treating people as God wants us to treat them. We're participating in a groupthink mentality that says, hey, listen, I'm just going to listen to the people who agree with me. I'm only really going to hear myself. I'm going to brand people with different opinions, different thoughts, different contexts from me as being cuckoo. And we got to silence them. We can't, we, we can't let them say anything. Jesus is the better right Jesus is the better right because Jesus says to love difficult people. That's exactly what we all wanted to hear today, didn't it? We want to hear that. Love difficult people? Yep. You know what Jesus says about being right? Jesus says that we should bless those who curse you. I find that difficult. That is not easy. That's what Jesus says is right. Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you. Like, dear Lord, my boss needs to go. Thank you for removing him or her. Amen. But that's, that's not what Jesus means, does he? Pray for those who persecute you. A famous figure recently said that if you are only throwing stones, you are part of the problem, not the solution. Jesus is the better right. How about this truth that culture may be currently saying is right? Your feelings are your truth. Your feelings are your truth. Culture around us, I think, tells us that your feelings are your truth. There's a couple things that need to be unpacked from this understanding. First of all, we find ourselves in an idea of truth and thought in postmodernism where everything is really relative. So the only thing that can be trusted is me. The only thing that can be trusted is my experience, my feelings, my perception. And no one has the ability to engage me in those places because authenticity is number one. 
And if you say that somehow I'm not allowed to be me, then you're stopping the freedom that I have. But if truth comes from our heart, has your heart ever changed? What about if your feelings aren't the same as they used to be? What about if your feelings change for someone or something? What would happen if you just responded to every impulse that you ever had whenever you wanted to do it immediately? Good things? The truth is, sometimes we don't even know ourselves, right? We don't know why we do stuff. We don't want to do the stuff that we do. And yet, if we're called to use the phrase that I, I know a lot of people like, so I might be pushing some buttons here, but I find it can be toxic. It, you be you. What does that mean? If you don't even know who you is, are. I don't know how to conjugate that verb. Maybe Jesus has a better right. See, Jesus is the better right because he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says there is truth. There is something to hold on to. You know, we are in a society and in a world that is desperate for something to hold on to. In an age of relativism, it is a debilitatingly anxious pursuit to put faith in anything because everything can change. So Jesus comes to say, look, here I am, I'm God. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You come to me, you're gonna be set free. He says, I created all things. I'm the author of all things. I know you, I know you better than you know yourself. You can have confidence in me. You can have stability in me. You can have a solid foundation in that truth. All right, number three. Doing good makes me good. Here's, here's maybe a truth that our culture says. Doing good makes me good. Now, here's, here's what's a little bit troubling about bringing this up, friends. I got to tell you, if you leave the room today and said, Pastor Steve said I don't need to be good anymore, you've missed, I, I've messed up. You didn't miss the point. I messed up somehow, okay? That's not, that's not what I'm saying, that good is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But here are a couple things that we need to think about as our culture says, good makes me, being good or doing good makes me good. Why is it this time of year that you hear stories of soup kitchens turning people away from volunteering? having too many volunteers on Christmas, but in February, it seems like they always need a helping hand. What is even our definition of doing good? Like, who tells us what, what good is? What's your standard for good? Is it just like the little bit that I can do, or is it better than my neighbor, or, you know, how do I know that I'm actually doing good? Maybe if we're honest with ourselves, when we do good, we just feel better about ourselves. Now, that's not all bad. 
I honestly believe that that's part of God's wiring and connecting us into his kingdom to bring good into the world. It's a byproduct that we feel connected and we feel, you know, that we get something from it as well. But what about those who we don't know deserve good? Do we have to do good to them? Like, you know, people who can return the favor, that's, that's fine. Like our friends, our family, of course. Or maybe like the least of these, you know, the, uh, yeah, they're in need. We need to help them. What about those who hate you? What about those who you don't think deserve a second chance? Do they deserve good? Because that's who Jesus said to do good to. He said to lend money to your enemies, even if you don't think they're going to pay you back. See, Jesus is the better right. Jesus is the better right because Jesus said, do to others as I have done to you. Do to others as I have done to you. Jesus, the example of goodness is you. And I, I do things not just to feel like I'm a good person or not just to make myself feel better, but because you've done so much good for me. I want to treat others, Jesus, like the way you treat me. So what do these three illustrations all have in common? Whether it's silencing people who don't agree with me, or whether it's believing that my feelings are truth, or whether it's doing good to make me feel better. What do all those three things have in common? They all have, they all have me in the center, don't they? They all have me in the center. So maybe something needs to change there. Maybe I'm not supposed to be the center of right. So um, here's another scripture that will help us apply. If, you, if you're tracking with me and you're saying, you know what, I, I agree with you. Like the first century, Jesus had something to say about what was right and what was wrong. And, and today, Jesus has something to say about what is right and what is wrong. But what about for me? How does Jesus actually work that out in my life, in my heart, in my soul, so that I can follow him better? Here's what it says in the book of Ephesians. It says this. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So real quick, let's unpack that real fast here today to help us apply what we're talking about, what it means to understand more right than right. There's an old self. There's an old self in each one of us. There's an old self that's got to go. It's corrupt. It's deceitful. It betrays. It's self-focused. It's prideful. It's fallen. 
And God comes in through Jesus and by faith restores and makes a new heart, renews my mind, renews our mind. How does God do that? By changing the way we think. We have to allow Jesus to change the way we think. How do we do that? By reading God's word, by meditating on God's word, by being in community like this, by being in small group, by being able to say, hey, I need to understand this more. How can I understand this more? Of course, God is concerned with our hearts, but he is also concerned with our minds. And so we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This process is continual. I really wish it wasn't. I really wish that when you meet Jesus, it's just like, I don't know, fairy dust or something. You know, you're just like, boom, I'm godly. And here's what's true about that, is that you are made right with God. When you believe in Jesus, that he is he has died for you and lives for you and you find yourself by faith through him, you are changed. You are given a new self, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But there is a process that is continual, right? There's a process where God is changing your mind, where he is renewing your mind, when he is causing you to see the world and to see yourself differently because there's a new self in us. And that new self is in Christ. That new self has new attitudes, new desires, new ways of thinking, new understandings of right and wrong. See, God changes us inside and out. That's what it means, righteousness and holiness, inside and out. Because this is the greater story of life. That though our pride and our sin and our disobedience had separated us from God, Christmas is the story of God saying, you need a savior and you're not too far for it. You're not too far from God to get it. You know why? Because I'm going to come so close to you. I'm going to be one of you. I'm going to come to this earth to be your savior. And then your heart is going to be new and you're going to be changed and you're going to be different and you're going to see that Jesus is the better right. You're going to see that Jesus is the better right. Jesus does not condone our sin, but he says that there is mercy and forgiveness for it. You know, Joseph, Joseph was told what the name is his little boy. Do you remember what the angel told Joseph to name his kid? He said, you're going to give him the name Jesus. You know what Jesus means? Jesus means the Lord or God saves. The Lord saves. Whenever you say the name Jesus, whenever you proclaim the name Jesus, whenever you believe in the name Jesus, that's what you're saying. You're saying God saves. Not the world saves. Not myself saves. Not my family saves. Not my 401k. God saves. 
Jesus. And here's the last, last thought here this morning. Jesus' friend John wrote a book, a couple of them. And in one of them, it was a, it was a biography of his friend Jesus' life. And at the beginning of that book, John says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. Full of both. John described Jesus in this way because truth matters. Truth is real. Truth will set you free. There is a right and there is a wrong. But we need to hear this as well. Grace is required. Grace is necessary. And I was really, really hoping for like a simple axiom that I could just like put on the screen and you could apply to your life and you could say like, this is it. I got it. I'm going to be able to solve every difficult dilemma now. You got nothing on me, Joe. You got nothing on me, Jesus. I'm going to be able to know right from wrong every time. This is going to go well. I didn't come up with one. I'm sorry. But I do believe that Jesus is the better truth. And I believe that as easy it might sound for there to be rules and regulations to follow, it's not the better way. It's not the better way because it doesn't form relationship with God. And it's not the better way because it doesn't change the way you think. And so I came up with this as frail as it might be. A disciple follows the master. Jesus came to show us a better version of life. Jesus came to give us real life and to save us from ourselves. Jesus has the better right and if we want to follow Jesus, we need to follow the master. This is so key, friends. Because there's going to be situations that we face in our lives and we don't know what's right. We're confused. We don't know what to say and we don't know what to do. And in those ways, we need to follow. We need to follow not our own hearts. We need to follow not the way this world speaks to us. But we need to be brave enough to follow Jesus. To be able to be a disciple that follows the master. It might not always be an easy path. In fact, wasn't an easy path for Jesus, so why would we think it would be for us? So here's a question I just want us to be left with today. What will it look for you 
What will it look like for me? What will it look like for us? What will it look like for you to be obedient? Not to the world, not to yourself, but to the master. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Christmas, that we can be in a season that reminds us that there is hope, that there is love, that there is joy, that there is peace. That Jesus, you did not leave us on our own, but you came to us to save us. And so today, we don't want to leave you in the manger, and we don't even want to leave you on the cross or in the tomb or risen again. We want to leave you, God, nowhere but in our hearts. That as we go into this week, that you would be our master, that you would help us to follow you, that we could be your disciple, that, that people would see that you, Jesus, are the better right. And so help us, God. We need your grace at home. We need your grace at work. We need your grace at school. We need your grace wherever we go. That you would help us to have faith and believe that you are with us that we could be disciples who follow you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.